Oh my God, what's up, party people? And welcome to season seven of Romancing Nancy Drew. I'm your host, Indy Nickerson, which stands for Nancy Drew Nickerson. You can find me at that handle on Twitter, and you can also find me at Romancing Nancy on Twitter if you are so inclined. Season seven, we're picking up with the Nancy Drew Files with number 11, and I get to eat everything that I said at the end of last week's episode because the ghostwriter for this one. You have a special place in my heart. Um, We're picking up in May of 1987, actually. Although time has no meaning in these books. (laughs) So it doesn't fucking matter. Um, At the end of the 10th book, that's, that's when Nancy and Ned had decided to try again. And Nancy was helping out with the... The election campaign of John Harrison, who... Harrington, who... Um, his dad had been involved in that stuff and it was bad. And at the end of it, Nancy crawled out of a dumbwaiter and fell into Ned's arms. So you know that I'm here for that shit. In this book, this book picks up with an extremely sweet Nancy Ned scene, which I'm going to read aloud to you because it's storytime children. And you know, you know the shit that you are here for. So I wish you didn't have to go. Ned Nickerson's lips brushed Nancy Drew's cheek as he held her tightly in his arms. And you're like, yes, yes. Nancy looked up into his dark eyes. I do too, she whispered, burying her face against his shoulder. Texas seemed light years away. And you're like, Texas? WTF. Uh, So far in the files, Nancy's been to New York. Um, But yeah, Nancy goes to like, not all the states, honestly. There There are states with lots of mysteries and states with not a lot of mystery and not a lot of people. But she's heading to Texas for this one. I wish this Rygert guy had never contacted you, Ned said, because Ned has plans. Oh, Ned, you know the Rygert case is important to me, but as important as the case was, Nancy didn't want to leave Ned, not when they had just gotten back together again. And I'm like, yeah, y'all banged. (laughs) Right at that moment, Nancy didn't feel like a detective going off to solve a difficult case. She only, she felt only like a girl saying goodbye to the boy she loved. She kissed him again. Yes. Above them someplace, the airport's public address system announced Nancy's flight for the third time because we are in a rom-com from the 1990s. Nancy tried to pull away, but Ned's arms tightened around her. Listen, if you need help, he said, I could come down for a long weekend or even take a couple days off from school. Side note, this is why he can't graduate. (laughs) Also, my Uncle Al lives in Dallas, and by plane, he's not too far from where you'll be. Because Texas is fucking huge, y'all. He'd come running to help you. I know he would. He's a great guy. Works for one of the Dallas newspapers. Oh my God, the halcyon days of 1980s when there were multiple newspapers and metropolitan markets. Thanks for the offer, Nancy said with a smile. I'll take you up on it if things get really tough. Reluctantly, Nancy drew away from Ned. Lowercase D. I'm going, she said, slinging her carry-on bag over her shoulder and picking up her, you're going to love this portable typewriter. She picked up her skirt and adjusted her trim khaki blazer. Well, do I look ready? You look perfect, Ned said, giving her a final quick kiss. Hey, Nancy Drew, he said in a husky voice. Don't forget that I love you. And there are scene ends. We skipped the part where Nancy didn't have to go through the pre-check line and be scanned with a wand to make sure that she wasn't a terrorist or to take her shoes off or to put everything through a metal detector. I love that she has a fucking portable typewriter. I love that she, I love that she has a fucking portable typewriter. I mean, we're talking 1987 here. Like, she wouldn't have lugged a personal computer there. But anyway, 
Okay, the case, because of course you are deeply invested in the case. The Rygert guy that he is that they were discussing just now has called Nancy in because he has received a note saying that his daughter is being held for ransom, and you're like, cool, several questions. Why didn't he call the police? Why, why are you t- calling Nancy Drew in about this? These are good questions. The bigger question, though, is what the fuck is going on because his daughter apparently died in a plane crash 15 years ago. Ah, okay, so Nancy's invested in this case because um, the little girl, let's see, Katerina is the name of the little girl. She was two years old. She was on a plane with her mom, who was named Isabella, and the plane crashed in the mountains of Mexico because Isabella was taking her daughter back home with her, like, for good, y'all. She was like, I'm done with this shit. I'm going back to my people. So she was taking her daughter with her, and the plane crashed in the mountains, and they recovered the wife's body, but not the child's body. So that happened 15 years ago. They haven't heard anything from her. Um, Rygert believed that his daughter just wandered off into the bushes and died, like, and that they just had not recovered her body. So he you know, believed that she was dead and that there was nothing that he could do. And of course he was very sad about it, but he got a note saying, um, that there were some people holding his daughter for ransom. And he was like, that, that seems a bit fishy. And, um, enclosed in the note was a like scrap of old material that he recognized as an outfit that she would have had. And so he's like, he's calling Nancy in because, He's like, I need you to get to the bottom of this. So the reason that Nancy is taking a portable typewriter with her, because this is not normal procedure for her, you know this, is that she's pretending to be a ghostwriter. Yes, absorb that. She's 18 years old, and she's like, you know what, bitches? I've made a name for myself as a ghostwriter. Which, I mean, it's not the worst cover in the world, honestly, because she can be like, yes, I'm I'm just here to collect information about this man and his family and his first family, because, of course, he, he has a second family. Um, yeah. So that's going to be her cover, is she's going to pretend that she's helping him write his memoirs, and that is explaining why she is being super nosy around the ranch, out in the middle of fucking nowhere in Texas. Okay. 40 miles from help if I need it, said Nancy. So, yeah, that's that's what he, she's looking into. She needs to find out if this is a hoax or if the daughter somehow did survive and find out where she is so that she can be recovered. So that's that's her job here. Um, Let's see. She gets picked up at the airport by Rygert's stepson, who is named Mark. Um, Mark is an asshole. <laughs> he's 25. He believes that he's charming, and he's wearing, like cowboy cosplay because he's wearing a fancy cowboy shirt with jeans and snakeskin boots what makes it a fancy cowboy shirt you're asking fuck you (laughs) you don't get to know that so mark of course all the way back to the ranch is like you seem super young for a ghost rider and nancy's like i did not think this through (laughs) uh mark tells nancy that his mother he's like oh you must know about jonelle and nancy's like who is what and he's like my mom and she's like you you call your mom by her first name and he's like yeah sometimes and I was like okay I've got 17,000 questions at this point he also says that they met because she was a hostess in an exclusive club in Dallas and it was a whirlwind romance and within weeks they were married um okay side note 
reading this as an adult, because it had been a hot minute since I read this one, I was like, oh, Jonelle is Anna Nicole Smith. Ah, okay. So this is second family. This is the whole whirlwind romance, except for, of course, that he doesn't have the, the like, actual heirs that would contest the fact that he's leaving everything to this bombshell. Um, so I feel like it's not actually Anna Nicole. This is kind of like a picture of what somebody would have believed that Anna Nicole was if they did not know her as a person who has listened to several podcasts, which were deeply sympathetic about Anna Nicole. So, um, so Nancy's like, Oh, Mark, do you you like working at the ranch? And he's like, hell no, I'm into investments. I mean, I'm just dressed like this to be an asshole. And Nancy's like, that seems legit. So they go back to the ranch. Um, Mark points out some white-tailed deer, and he's like, these are pretty much the only native deer around here. And Nancy's like, I'm sure that's going to be important later. <laughs> when they pull up to the house, Jonelle comes out to greet them, and Jonelle is wearing designer dude ranch clothes. And I was like, please go on. Tight white pants and a silk shirt with silver buttons. The buttons, of course, have the logo of the ranch on them. And I was like, can you be more pretentious? It's fine. Oh, my God. She had a platinum blonde bouffon and her carefully made up mouth wore a vivacious smile. So anyway, so that's her. Um, Mrs. Rygert says, Mrs. Arguello is going to show you to your room. And she is like 70 and looks like she wants to curse everybody. And I was like, that is the appropriate energy for this. Um, then Joe Bob, who I was like, yeah, that sounds fake. Um, Joe Bob shambles out to pick up Nancy's bags for her after being summoned. He, he seems to be just lingering nearby watching, judging, look at the baby. <laughs> so he comes in. Jean, who is the, like, oh, the ranch foreman. We couldn't get along without him, could we, Jean? Said Mrs. Rygert. She smiled warmly at him and laid a hand on his arm. Nancy noticed that Jonelle's voice had taken on a soft, almost purring sound that instantly made Jean uncomfortable, and I'm like, y'all banging. <laughs> the implication is there that she's she's ready to bang you. That's fine. So, so far, oh my God, like we need to draw some sick figures so that you know what's happening. We have Gene, the foreman, who Nancy's like, he's hot. I mean, I'm just going to acknowledge it. We've got Jonelle, who is the second wife, who seems to be a trophy wife, who he picked up at a strip club, like <laughs> hostess of an exclusive club in Dallas. I'm like, so you had to pay money to get into this strip club. Okay. Mark, her son, who is a dick. Um, Mr. Rygert, who we haven't met yet. Katerina, who is the possibly, she's the Schrodinger's cat of children? We don't know. We just don't know. We've got Mrs. Arguello, who hates everyone. We've got Joe Bob, who is exactly a Joe Bob. That's, that's exactly what he is. So, Nancy meets all these people. Um, when she, she gets into her room, and I had forgotten how incredibly weird this was. She goes to her room, and there's a phone in there, and Nancy's like, can I use this phone to make long-distance calls? (laughs) And they're like, Oh, sure. There's another, if somebody is using the house line, there is another line in the office for business reasons. And I was like, I had forgotten. I'd forgotten all of this. It's so, so incredibly fun. Of course, there's no cell phones. This is 1987. She has a fucking portable typewriter. There's a VCR. It's no. Okay. Anyway. Um, so Nancy asks Mrs. Arguello how long she's been working for Mr. Rygert, because again, she's 70 years old and seems to hate everyone. And she's like, I've got a good feeling about this. 
And Mrs. Argyle is like, I've worked for his, for Mr. Rygert for 20 years. And Nancy's like, oh, 20 years. So you remember the first wife. And she's like, see, as one does. So you must remember their child, Katerina. And Mrs. Argyle was like, why do you ask? Like, she ain't here for this shit. Then this young girl knocks on the age. She's very pretty, close to Nancy's age, with long dark hair and flashing black eyes. She wore a full skirt and white embroidered peasant blouse and carried herself almost regally. If somebody carries themselves regally in a Nancy Drew book, but they do not seem to be the kind of person who would have reason to carry themselves regally, then they are the person that you are looking for. They are the unfortunate missing orphan. So, of course, as soon as I read this, I was like, you're telegraphing like a motherfucker, but okay. Um... Mrs. Arguello addresses her as Angela and says, I told you to stay in the kitchen. And so she brings a note from Mr. Rygert that's like, come talk to me right now. And so Nancy's like, sure, okay. I've received another ransom note. Mr. Rygert, because I know that you like to fantasy cast in your head, his trophy wife, Jonelle, looks like Anna Nicole Smith. You you got that. Um, Mr. Rygert looks like the KFC guy. <laughs> he wore his white hair long, falling just below his collar. So he's he's rocking a long one. His white beard was neatly clipped, so, you know, KFC guy. His face was lined, but his blue eyes were still bright and alert, and his voice was strong. He did not start hawking chicken immediately, but, you know, we've got all day. He appeared to be a man of great strength and and endurance, and also an enduring love of chicken. (laughs) No, it's fine. So he received a note that said, still not convinced, Nancy read aloud. How's this per proof? Get ready for the payoff. She folded up the note. I'd like to keep this because it's actually handwritten. Because again, it's 1987. What the fuck else are you going to do other than tediously cut some shit out of newspapers? Um, along with the note came a tiny shoe with a little silver bell tied to one lace. And Mr. Raggard identifies it as one of Katerina's. She was wearing that when she was involved in the plane crash because it was her favorite shoe. It, was, it went with her favorite outfit. So... Um, Nancy's talking to him and she's like, so you believe that your daughter's still alive? And he's like, I don't know, but if she, if she is alive, I don't know where she's been, but if she is, she's my only child, my only heir. And she, Nancy's like, what about your new family? And he's like, fuck them. <laughs> she's the worst mistake I ever made in my life. And the only thing that Mark deserves is to be booted right off this ranch. Him and his harebrained ideas. Um, yeah. So he's clearly not enamored with his new family. So you know that if he dies suspiciously, that he won't hear for this shit. Um, he he tells Nancy that he's caught his new wife like snooping around his papers, so she doesn't trust him. She he doesn't trust anybody actually. The only person he trusts is Gene, the ranch foreman. Um, he tells Nancy later that he's known Gene since he was in diapers, so he trusts him completely. And Nancy's like cool um that that doesn't mean that he's not a bad person but okay so um what Mr. Iger says is I want Gene to take you out on the ranch tomorrow I want you to saddle up and go out and check things out and Nancy's like I thought I could and he's like get on a horse (laughs) so Nancy sighed feeling very much alone she wished that Ned were there so she could discuss the situation with him the next day she would give him a call hell yeah she would um they had breakfast which the the ghostwriter's like, I'm very proud of this. They're going to have tortillas filled with sausage and cheese and red hot huevos rancheros. And I was like, probably the only Spanish that's going to happen in this book other than the word C. It's fine. Nancy went to breakfast wearing jeans, a red and white plaid shirt. So I guess she looked like a tablecloth and tool leather belt and her cowboy boots. 
Jean glanced at her approvingly, and I was like, because you like it when girls dress as cowboy Barbie? Like, I mean, that's fine if that's what you're into. <laughs> but oh my God. Nancy's like, I just got this off the buckets, uh, off the racket sears. It's fine. Um, Jean's like, I guess you're ready for your tour. Mark's like, why, why are you taking a tour? What? And Nancy's like, because your stepdad said I should. He thought I should go out and look at the ranch since I'm going to be writing about it. Shut your face. Anyway, um, and then Nancy finds out that apparently Mr. Riggard is not at the table, and Mrs. Riggard, Jonelle, Anna Nicole, is like, he's feeling sick this morning. Immediately, alarm bells went off in my head because I know how this works. You have the trophy wife who is like, I got other shit to do, and you're super old, and he's feeling sick. I was like, Nancy, smell all of his food. But Nancy doesn't do this. He's like, Mrs. Riggard is like, he has like this chronic stomach problem. He'll be fine. And Nancy's like, I will accept that at face value. <laughs> so anyway, um, Mrs. Arguello, being the bitch she is, spills coffee on Mark during breakfast. And he's like, watch where you're going. We should fire you, blah, blah. And, and Nancy's like, I'm, I'm bye. Because <laughs> Jean wants to get out of there too. Uh, Nancy and Jean go out on the ranch. They talk about like, you know, random things. They talk about cattle, which... I'm going to spare you. Um, the one thing that they find out is that Jean says that when Nancy asks about the harebrained ideas, Jean says that, oh, Mark was saying that we should have exotic game on the ranch. Like we should have buffalo and elk and things. And that way we could basically do like a kind of like a hunting preserve. So we'd have to like fence in a massive area and then people could come and they would pay to hunt on our land. They would pay to hunt these exotic animals. And Nancy's like, would, is that reasonable? And Jean's like, I mean, maybe, but it, it would be a massive expense, like to fence in everything with like a six foot fence to start. And there's not a lot of extra money. So Nancy's like, okay. Nancy spots this animal. And let's see, she says a funny looking deer that had spots and big antlers. And Jean's like, what the fuck are you talking about? That is not reasonable. And I was like, sure it is. I, I don't understand cattle or deer or anything. So sure. Nancy's like, he was brown with big white splotches all over him, and he was big, about the size of an elk. And Jean's like, or was it a unicorn? And Nancy's like, fuck you. <laughs> so she has no idea what the fuck's going on. She can't identify the animal. She just doesn't know. Um, Nancy's writing a Palomino. You know that's going to be important later. Um, Jonelle, Anna Nicole, flies out of the house and is like, oh my god, my husband, he's so sick, I think that he's dying, and so they all run into the house, and he's, when they go in there to talk to him, she, Nancy's like, you sent for the doctor, right, and he's like, uh, Mrs., Mrs., what's it's like, he will not have me send for a doctor, and I'm like, you don't fucking care what he wants, you send for a doctor, dipshit, but anyway, um, Nancy's like, call for one, and he's like, I'm not dying, I just got a bad stomachache, and I'm like, because you've been poisoned, so she goes into, Nancy goes into the room and she's like, how are you feeling? Are you okay? And he's like, I'm fine. Go find my daughter. So uh, Nancy goes out. She's asking more questions. She goes around and asks everybody questions. She goes and asks um, Anna Nicole some questions. She goes into her bedroom and sees that it's like, she's seen Mr. Raggett's room, which is extremely sparse. And he's got like a bed and a dresser and a table. And that's pretty much it. And a TV and a VCR. The VCR, of course, is going to be important later. Um, the wife's room is like pink and white and silver and crystal and dresses and like just Anna Nicole. 
So Nancy's like, what do you know about the first wife for book reasons? And she's like, I, I don't know. She died in a plane crash. IDK. And Nancy's like, okay, so how did you and Mr. Rygert meet? And she's like, I was working at a dinner club that caters to the very best clientele. And I was like, you are a stripper. It's fine. Like, I mean that honestly. I'm fine with her being a stripper. I just want them to be honest about what the fuck's happening here. <laughs> but this is a book for preteens. It's fine. Um, so Nancy, like, asks her some more questions, but she doesn't really seem all that inclined to answer, especially about his first family. And, I mean, I understand. She gets less information from Mark. She goes to see him, and he, like, stuffs a thing back in his... He's like, I'm nothing. I'm doing nothing. It's fine. Uh, she mentions the weird deer or elk or thing that she saw, and Mark's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You you must be hallucinating, and he's acting weird. And Nancy's like, I swear I saw it. And he's like, you're making it up. I have to go. My broker is waiting. <laughs> I should have whipped out the biggest cell phone in existence, like Zach on the Saved by the Bell. Um, then Nancy gets a call, Ned. I know you've been patiently waiting for this. It was something that she'd been looking forward to all day, and the familiar sound of Ned's voice warmed her. How's it going out there? He asked her after he'd been called to the phone by his fraternity brother. And Omega Chai, the only fraternity house where it's not constant debauchery and just sex and drugs. Just a minute, Nancy said. Oh, I'm sorry. Have you found anything? Just a minute, Nancy said. She put down the phone and got up to make sure the door was securely closed. She didn't want anybody to overhear. And I'm like, bitch, it's the house phone line. All somebody has to do is very quietly pick up another receiver, but it's fine. Um, not much, she said in a low voice when she got back to the phone. There's been another note with a shoe that Mr. Riker says was his daughter's. She told him the details and then added, I intended to talk to him at length today, but he was sick. Sick? Yes, apparently some chronic stomach ailment. It doesn't seem too serious. She rubbed her back, smiling ruefully. Speaking of ailments, I sure could use a back rub. I spent the morning on horseback looking at cows, and I'm really stiff, which, again, I'm like, girl, do you use this often on him back at home? Where you're like, Ned, I'm so stiff from horseback riding. Every single thing I said there was code. Ned chuckled. I thought you were there to look for a lost cow, not a lost girl, not lost cows. Actually, Nancy said it wasn't a cow that intrigued me. It was a deer, a spotted deer with antlers, but I'm being accused of having an overactive imagination. Apparently such a thing doesn't exist down here. A spotted deer? Ned asked curiously. I can ask my uncle in Dallas. He's a hunter. He is every man and he does everything that men do, which is report at Dallas newspapers and also go hunting. If anybody would know, he would. There was a silence. Hey, you know something, Nancy Drew? Ned asked in a softer voice. I miss you. I miss you too, Nancy said, her pulse racing at the tender sound of his voice, and you're like, hell yeah. I wish. Her voice trailed away, and she closed her eyes, thinking of the way his lips had felt on hers when they said goodbye at the airport, and you're like, explore that at length, Nancy. Yes, Ned prompted, amused. What do you wish? I wish you were here, Nancy said. She laughed a little. I sound like a postcard. Having a wonderful time. Wish you were here. Mm, Ned said, don't tempt me, Nan. I might just get on the next plane and... Hell yeah. At that moment, there was a soft knock on the Nancy's door by somebody who was out to cock block her. Listen, Ned, I've got to say goodbye. Somebody's at the door. Okay, be careful and call tomorrow. I will, she promised and hung up. I need to point out here. I don't know if this is obvious enough to you. This is not normal behavior for the two of them. <laughs> like... There's a point at this where she says, like, I feel like I've just gotten him back and now I'm leaving him again, which is, of course, a reference to their breakup that they've just recovered from. But, like, this is not normal in, like, half the books for Nancy to be out of place and to call Ned, like, daily and give him updates and have him talk to her. Like, I think it really depended on the ghostwriter and how they felt about the relationship. 
Um, she found a piece of paper that had been slid under her door and it said, come to the stables immediately. You will get all the answers you need. And she looks at it and she's like, I'm sure this is not a trap. It's 100% a trap. Of course it is. Like she pretty much knows that. Um, she takes a flashlight out there. She goes into the stables. She kicks over a tool leaning against the stall. It fell over with a clank that echoed in the darkness. Nancy paused and then somebody knocked her the fuck out. So somebody just hit her on the head. Um, she woke up, realized that she was holding a piece of paper that said, does this answer your questions? Get off the ranch, you'll wake up dead. And I was like, yeah, that's grammatically possible. It's fine. So she's got a huge pump on her head the next morning. Um, whenever she wakes up, she, and gets out of the stable, she swings her light around and sees a figure just hurrying around the corner of the stable, a furtive stooped figure in a shapeless jacket that she thought she recognized. It looked very much like Joe Bob. The thing is that Joe Bob is the person who wears a shapeless jacket, and as everybody knows, um, if you borrow a, an article of clothing that is significant to a person, then everybody's going to mistake you for that person. So I'm just saying, Nancy, I'm just saying. That's fine. Nancy does her makeup very carefully the next day and wore a cheerful yellow cowboy shirt. I have all the questions. When you say a cheerful yellow cowboy shirt, first off, are we saying that it's a unisex genderless shirt um is there no friend she also ties a bright yellow ribbon around her ponytail which i'm like just don't put it around your neck i've read that story <laughs> anyway uh she goes to breakfast uh she doesn't see any clue about anything she decides to go out to the stables she didn't find anything she goes out to find mrs arguello who is in the kitchen chopping up vegetables for the soup she stops to talk to her and of course, Mrs. Arguello looks like she's about to punch everybody in the face. And I'm like, mood. Um, she asks, is there any pictures of Isabel around in the attic or something? And Mrs. Arguello is like, no, there's no pictures. And it's because Mr. Eggert got rid of all of them, pretty much. And then she asks about Isabel's family. And then Mrs. Arguello is like, why, why would they visit here? They have a beautiful Palacio in Mexico. And Nancy's like, uh, but this is a pretty big place. And Mrs. Arguello was like, yeah, but back then it was like two rooms. Like he, he's done some significant work here, but back in the day he didn't have much. He just had land. So it sounds like they had an argument. Um, Isabel's parents didn't approve of her marriage. Isabel wanted her daughter to be raised in an aristocratic family the way she had been, like with all the privilege that would be involved. So she took her, she was going to take her back home with her. And she had basically said that she was done with the marriage. So I love how Nancy's like, all of this is reasonable and tracks. Um, Nancy does feel kind of connected to this case because of course she lost her mom at a young age and in the files is when she was two. So it makes sense that she would feel sympathetic toward the character because she's like, ah, what would have happened if if, like, something terrible had happened and her mom had died and Nancy had been, like, basically thought she was orphaned at that point. So that's why she's kind of connected to it. Nancy asks Mrs. Arguello if she thinks that the little girl died in the plane crash or not. And then... But she she acts like she's maybe going to answer, but she doesn't. Um, Nancy finds out that Mrs. Reigert, Anna Nicole, is planning a party for Thursday night and... Um, Mr. Arguello is like, KFC guy is like, Colonel Sanders is like, 
can we not have super spicy food for stomach reasons? And she's like, why are you so thoughtless about my feelings? And he's like, look, I'll just get the cook to make me something different, okay? And she's like, you are such a doll. Nancy walks in and she's like, I, um, I had an appointment and they're like, we're party planning, so leave. <laughs> and I'm like, is party planning a euphemism? It's fine. Um, Nancy sees that somebody who's apparently eavesdropping outside. Um, she sees a flash of red when she goes to, she follows where she thinks the person went and she sees Angela who was wearing a red dress and she's like, I need to talk to you. And Angela's like, no comprendo. And Nancy's like, I've heard you speak English, you dipshit. Like, what is going on? Were you listening outside the office? And Angela's like, I don't want to talk to you. What I do is not your business. Take your hands off me. And she sounds very aristocratic. And Nancy's like, you don't sound like a housemaid. And I'm like, bitch, way to be classist, but it's fine. Jean walks in and Nancy sees that there's definitely a spark of attraction between Jean and Angela. And she's like, oh, I'm going to leave you two alone. It's fine. Um, let's see. Nancy decides that she's going to go out and see if she can find that weird deer again. So at, at lunch, she announces that she's going to do that. She asks Joe Bob to saddle up a horse for her. When she goes out to retrieve said horse, she finds a gray horse who seems to be a, a little bit of a bitch who has been saddled up for her. There's nobody there. So she gets on said horse. She goes out to, she finds a box canyon, which the book tries to describe, and I still have no fucking clue what it is. It, it's like... It's a convenient place to hey, keep livestock. And when she's out there trying to look around, um, somebody starts shooting at her and spooks the horse. So, And, of course, she had let down the reins because she had binoculars. Um, so the horse runs off. She doesn't have the reins, so she has to hold on to the horse really hard. And Gene, of course, is nearby, and he's like, What happened? Why are you on bad guy? And Nancy's like, First off, you legit have a horse named bad guy. Okay. Second, um... Do you have a gun? <laughs> but she can't say that. But he was really close to nearby, and she's like, ah. So, anyway, but Jean catches up to her, grabs the reins of the horse, and is like, you did a good job, girl. I'm proud of you. That horse threw Mark last year and just stomped his ass, and it was it was fun for all of us, but he definitely has apparently lost his touch because he, he didn't let anybody catch him after that day for a hot minute. And Nancy's like, okay. So, of course, because she told Joe Bob to put a saddle on a horse for her and the saddle ended up on the evil horse nancy's like joe bob and Jean, they work together this could explain everything uh, nancy asks mr Riggard about Jean and joe bob and he's like i'm sure they're not involved i'm sure it's somebody else and nancy's like okay oh, oh what what if what if Jean's like nancy do you want to go to the radio and nancy's like um and mr Riggard's like you want to go to the radio and nancy's like uh, sure, sure. Let's let's go to the radio tomorrow. That's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um. Of course, when Nancy's going to sleep that night, she's like, "I feel terrible because I've just been like jostled on a horse." But she couldn't go to sleep just yet. She needed to talk to Ned, and I'm like, "Yes, you do." She needed to hear his voice and know that he was thinking about her. Yes, you do. And needed his ideas. Working alone, especially in a situation where there didn't seem to be many leads, was terribly frustrating. Ned listened while Nancy told him what had happened since she had talked to him the night before. The crack on the head, the gunshot, and the ride at breakneck speed on bad guy, and the encounter with Angela. 
After a minute, he said, I don't like the sound of things down there, Nancy. There was a note of real worry in his voice. You could be in serious danger. You don't even know who to trust. Oh, I don't think there's much danger, she said as lightly as she could, belying the fact that she'd been fucking hit on the head the night before. The real problem is not, and somebody shooting at her. How dare I forget? The real problem is not being able to put any of this stuff together. There are the ransom notes and the notes I received last night, which are an entirely different print. Now there's a horse that nobody saddled and a gunshot that might or might not have been accidental. Something else puzzles me too, and that's the way Angela behaved this morning. I have the feeling that she's a rather unusual housemaid, but none of this points to the whereabouts of Katerina, that is, if the girl's still alive. And I'm like, you've unraveled everything in that one paragraph, sweetie, but it's fine. Um, Ned's saying, do you think the kidnapping's a hoax? And Nancy's like, maybe all we've got is some clues that don't really say that she's alive. And Ned's like, I don't have any classes for the next few days, which is a clear lie. How about if I fly down and give you a hand? And Nancy sighed and closed her eyes, thinking how wonderful it would be to have Ned with her. It would be too difficult to explain his presence on the ranch. I'm like, it would be perfect for you to be like, oh, hello, this is my new husband. <laughs> We're going to be banging. But maybe he could help her in a different way, if he was willing, of course. If you want to help, she said, maybe you could go to Dallas and see what you can learn about Janelle and Mark Blake. And Ned's like, sign me up, bitch. I'm there with bells on. So he's like, I'll go stay with my uncle. I'm sure that he'll lend me a hand with all the research. And then she, um, Dallas wasn't very close, but it was a lot closer than Emerson College. And she felt better just knowing that Ned wanted to help. Their relationship had been uncertain for a long time and his concern meant a lot to her. And I'm like, it wasn't uncertain for a long time. It was just that one case. Suddenly an enormous yawn overtook her. I'm really tired, Ned, and I ache all over. I better call it a night. And I'm like, get your ass over here and give me a massage. Take care of yourself, Drew, Ned said tenderly. Stay away from wild horses and dark stables and hang in there. <laughs> uh, then, of course, after she's tried to sleep for a little while, somebody comes to her room, opens the door, and it's like, Nancy Drew, are you awake? And she's like, oh, well, I am now. <laughs> uh, Mr. Rygert has received a video cassette. Oh, my God. So they go to his room and put the tape into the VCR. There's a young woman who has dark hair and dark eyes who is bound with her hands behind her back and her ankles lashed together, um, struggling against her bonds, trying to get free. Her blue, her eyes are wide. She's wearing like regular clothes for down there. Now, do you believe we have your daughter? And yeah, Nancy's like, you don't know who this is. They take her gag off and she's like, please, please father, help me. They'll hurt me if you don't pay the ransom. They're going to kill me. Please do as they say. I beg you pay the money. And he's like, I'm going to go get the money tomorrow. And Nancy's like, it's half a million. I just need you to know that. And unmarked bills. <laughs> when we have the money, you get the girl. Nancy's like, um, it, at this point, don't you think you should get the sheriff involved? And Mr. Rogers is like, fuck no. Like, I know the sheriff, and he is a toothless idiot. I am not getting him involved. I, I called you here to, to deal with this shit. And if you can't, then you might as well go ahead and leave. Uh, before that, Nancy's like, does she have any, does your daughter have any sort of distinguishing characteristics, a birthmark, some way that we can like get them to prove that she's who she says he is she is. And Mr. Rager's like, yeah, she has a straw a small strawberry shaped mark on the inside of her right ankle. And she's like, okay, so now we know that we can ask them for like show us her birthmark. So the next day, Nancy decides to get on her horse and go out to the box canyon again to track down the mysterious animal, but um yeah, a huge flash flood comes in, basically. A huge gully washer is what she calls. 
She calls Ned. Ned says he hasn't been able to find out much because he went to the club and the club basically threw away her application because she got, she left the club within six weeks and got married. So there was that. Um, so she knows that he's in Dallas. So that's cool. They go to the rodeo, Nancy and Jean do. Um, Jean points out that Joe Bob serves as a rodeo clown. They talk for a second about bulls and things. And so Jean's like, you really need to see Tomboy, who is the absolute badassest bull that's up here. So Nancy climbs up to look into the stall and you're like, I know where this is going. And somebody shoves her in. So of course the bull like charges her. Nancy tries to get out. The bull like scrapes her with its horns. And then some cowboys get in there and get him out of there. Um, Jean's like, what the fuck happened? Why, how did you end up in the stall? Did you fall? And Nancy's like, no, I was pushed. And he was like, who the fuck would push you into a stall with that jackass? And uh, the cowboy who helped save her comes up. He never gets a name. He's not Ned. Comes up and is like, yeah, I saw it. Somebody pushed her. The, the person was dressed as a rodeo clown. And Nancy's like, Joe Bob is dressed as a rodeo clown. <laughs> And again, if you are the distinguishing characteristics of somebody else, and that's what you're going to be mistaken for. And of course, because she knows that Joe, Bob, and Jean work together. On the way back, Jean's like, tell me more about your amazing career as a ghostwriter. Because you're so young. <laughs> and the thing that happens is that actually he stops the car. And Jean's like, over there, I can't believe what I've just seen. And Nancy's like, what did you just see? And he's like, a fucking kangaroo. And that seems like an excellent place for us to pause. Okay, so the next chapter starts the next morning, which, okay, as a reminder to me, the night before is when they went to the radio and Nancy almost got killed by a bull, as happens because of an evil radio clown, which, yeah, a sentence that you never really thought that you'd hear. And you were correct. Um, so Nancy's looking around at everybody suspiciously. She's like, Joe Bob is really tucking into those pancakes. <laughs> And avoiding everyone's eyes. And I'm like, he's just a, a pancake enthusiast. You need to let him work. So, um, Jean and Nancy are telling everybody at the table about seeing a kangaroo the night before. And Mark's like, were y'all drunk as shit? Because there are no kangaroos around here. Like, just no. But Nancy's like, I see a hint of fear of him in his eyes. I feel that he was involved. And I'm like, of course he was. Of course he was, sweetie. So, um, uh, she says that she wants to talk to Mr. Rygert, the KFC guy again that morning, and Mrs. Rygert, Anna Nicole, is like, uh, so he's sick this morning, so, and Nancy's like, oh, okay, so she goes to check on him, and he's like, I just have a stomachache, it's fine, and, and then he's like, I can't get the taste of garlic out of my mouth, and Nancy's like, you probably need to see a doctor, <laughs> eventually, like, she doesn't see it until later on, but it's the night of the party, and so, of course, Anna Nicole's like, why are you ruining my party by pretending you have a stomachache, and, KFC guy's like, mm, I mean, I do though. I do have a stomachache. So what he tells Nancy is, because my tummy hurts, I need you to go to the bank and get half a million dollars. Again, a sentence that you want to hear. But anyway, so he calls ahead. He calls the bank. He's like, Nancy needs to borrow the car. And Anna Nicole's like, why do you need the car? And Nancy's like, Nunya. So Nancy goes to the bank. She looks around and she's like, this bank is actually not as nice as any of the banks back home because my, my father, the inventor of Toaster Strudel, loves him a plush bank. But anyway, so she goes to talk to the bank manager and he's like, this is a shit ton of money. We're a small bank. Why did he think we would have half a mil just laying around to hand out for shit? And Nancy's like, that is not my concern, actually. Do you have it? And he's like, no. <laughs> 
which I love. They're presenting Texas as this, like, low-key, casual, like, we do what the fuck we want, and I feel that they are not wrong. He says, look, I'll have it later. The armored car will be here at, like, 5, and Nancy's like, and he says, so he can get it tomorrow, and Nancy's like, tomorrow's not good enough. He needs it today, and the man's like, fine, I'll bring it out tonight, and Nancy's like, you're coming to the party, right? And he's like, no, fuck no, I'm not going to that party. (laughs) He's like, I have already made up an excuse for not going, and Nancy's like, Okay, so um, I guess because she realizes that they really need to do this kind of low-key, she's like, okay, so why don't I meet you on horseback and we ride up to the house? Because if you show up to the house in your car, she'll know that you lied about your reason for not going to the party. And dude's like, you're not wrong. So so that's what they arranged, that as soon as he arrives, Nancy's going to go out and meet him. Like at midnight, at fucking midnight, <laughs> when all normal things happen. So she goes back to the ranch, and I actually don't remember what the fuck happens after that. I know that she's um, she's still looking around, looking for clues, trying to figure out what the fuck's going on, um, whether she's going to ride out and look for weird animals or not. Um, I don't know, because the important thing doesn't happen until later. Um, they're prepping for the party. There's a bunch of pinatas. It feels like a five-year-old's birthday party, but if that five-year-old was obsessed with Taco Bell, so... Like, they have a mariachi band, and there's, like, all these hors d'oeuvres, and it's just, and Nancy's like, well, I only brought two party dresses, so, and you're like, of course you brought a fucking party dress. Of course you did. I'm a ghostwriter who was on a remote ranch in Texas. I'm gonna need at least two party dresses. (laughs) And as always, her instinct is completely correct, so she puts on her white dress with a low neckline and sleeves, no sleeves, and you're like... Of course, of course she did. It's fine. Um, yeah, so Nancy goes to the party. Um, she sees, you know, a bunch of people there. It's fine. And she goes out to talk to Mr. Riker, the KFC dude. And he's like, hey, how are you enjoying the party? And Nancy's like, you still seem kind of off balance. And he's like, yeah. And then he clutches his stomach and is like, ugh. (laughs) And Nancy's like, let's get you back to your room, honey. So she and Jean get him back to his room and into his bed, and Nancy's like, have you considered that you might be being poisoned? And KFC dude's like, of course I'm not being poisoned. And Nancy's like, I think you are, though. Like, think about it. Everybody here knows you don't like doctors. Um, You're just kind of curmudgeonly in that way. So, of course, if they were going to poison you, it would be unlikely to be detected because you would just blame it on having an upset stomach. Also, everyone here hates you. And he's like, you're not wrong. So, okay, tomorrow I'll go see a doctor. And Nancy's like, cool. So she rides out to meet the banker. He rides up on a horse, which is, everything is ridiculous. They go up to the house and dude's like, and I have to note that in the scene, every single time that they exchange dialogue, the two men say each other's names repeatedly. And I'm like, you can chill, it's fine. Um, but he hands over the half a million dollars and Nancy's like, where the, where the hell are you going to put this? And he's like, guess what bitch has a wall safe? And he opens up the wall safe. <laughs> he's like, I had it installed last year for just a purpose such as this. And Nancy's like, so you pay ransom a lot. But bank dude is like, you know that this is like your entire account, right? And KFC dude's like, yeah, I know, I know. It's, it's for good reason. So dude leaves. KFC dude is like, okay, the money's in the safe, everything's fine, you can go to bed, and Nancy's like, okay, so she rides 
with the banker out to his car. She's returning back to the house when she notices, she hears something and it's again, pitch black outside. It's like one o'clock in the morning and this big truck with no lights on like thunders down the road and almost hits her because of course it does. And she takes the horses and gets off the road, but she looks at it as it drives by and she thinks it's a stock truck. Like she thinks it's used to transport livestock and she's like, why the fuck would they be out here at like one thirty in the morning with no lights on? Like, this all seems super fishy. So she goes back to the house. She's bone tired, but she walks by Mr. Riger's room and she's like, maybe he would know why. Like, maybe there's an innocent explanation for this. And she also hears like a window kind of a casement slamming against the house. And she's like, that's odd, because when I was in his room, like, everything was shut up pretty tight. So she goes to his room and opens the door, like, the doorknob is not locked. And she's like, Mr. Haggard, are you awake? And he's like, what the fuck? What? What? I'm, what? How are you in here? Like, the door should be locked. And he's like, it 100% wasn't. Also, your window's open. And he's like, no, it's not. And he's like, it fucking is. And, of course, you knew this was going to happen. He goes to open the safe, and the money's gone. So, it's, like, 2 o'clock in the morning now. The banker delivered the money at, like, 1230. Nancy's like, okay, uh, let's retrace your steps. What did you do after the banker was here? And Mr. Riger's like, well, I went to the kitchen, and I got some milk with some whiskey in it, because this is that kind of book. And then I went back to sleep. And Nancy's like, okay, um, okay. My guess was, of course, that the milk had been drugged somehow, but... Anyway, um, so yeah, Nancy checks and she sees the imprint of a shoe in the soft soil beneath the window. So she's pretty sure that the person escaped through the window and just left it open, as one does. And she also finds a button, which is similar to the ones that Janelle was wearing, Anna Nicole, was wearing at the beginning of the story. So she's like, okay, I've got suspects. I've seen this button before. And Mr. Hargert's like, oh, I gave those buttons to everybody. <laughs> She liked them, so I gave her some as well, but I gave them to everybody. All the cowboys have them, everything, and Nancy's like, of course you would have to fuck shit up this way. Of course. So, the next day, um, of course, Nancy's like, I have no fucking clue what to do because I don't know who has the money, and everything sucks, and she keeps trying to call Ned, and she keeps not getting him, and of course she doesn't have a cell phone because it's 19-fucking-87. So, she gets a call that day. Somebody's like, someone's on the phone for you. And Nancy's like, um, everyone who would call me here is a person who only knows me by my actual name. And no one who knows me by my actual name would call me here. So what? So she answers the phone and the person's like, I have information about Mr. Rygert. And Nancy's like, you do. And the person's like, meet me in the wine cellar. <laughs> to which I was like, first off, is there a Montiato? Second... A wine cellar is like a perfect place for somebody to trap you because it's normally one entrance and one exit and they can block you in there pretty easily. Like it would be perfect for a distraction for like, oh no, you got locked in the wine cellar while I went out and shot everyone. So Nancy's like, I'm going to be smart this time because of the whole thing that happened in the stables. So she goes down there, takes her pen knife out, fucking disconnects the switch to the light at the top of the stairs so that only the switch at the bottom of the stairs is working. And then she lays in wait for whoever has been trying to contact her. So, ooh, I forgot. Uh, Nancy, actually, when she returned, I think when she returned from whatever she'd been doing that morning, um, she walked by Janelle's room and heard her talking to Mark, and she heard something about smuggling, and you're such an idiot. And so, of course, she, like, put her ear, like, up to that door. Like, if there had been a glass nearby, she would have shoved that shit up against it. 
And of course, like Mark opens the door and catches Nancy at eavesdropping. And he's like, what are you doing? And like grabs her and pulls her into the room. And is like, I don't know what your game is, but what are you doing? And Nancy is like, uh, and then fakes some big ass tears. And it's like, I don't know why you're trying to hurt me. I was just walking by. And they, they may not exactly buy it, but they're like, okay, well, it's fine. Go, go back to your room. It's fine. Stop crying. <laughs> and Nancy's like, yeah. So. So that happens. So now she knows something about smuggling that's involved with those two. Yeah. Also, hilariously, um, the banker, when she was talking to him, um, he was like, yeah, no one knows about Jonelle. It's like she just appeared out of nowhere at that club before Mr. Rygert went to it that one time. So, And Nancy's like, that's interesting. So she's in the wine cellar waiting, waiting for Montrezor and Fortunato to make their way down there. Um, when somebody comes to the wine cellar, tries to turn on the light, is like, oh, there's another switch at the bottom of the stairs. Nancy flicks it on and she sees that it's Angela who is standing there at the foot of the stairs who had apparently called her to get her to come down to the wine cellar. And Nancy's like, what are you doing? And Angela's like, I came here to see you. And Nancy's like, cool. So this is what happens. As you already know, Angela is Katerina. She's the missing daughter. She's been the missing daughter all along. And Nancy's like, how though? Like, what the, f- what the literal fuck? What, what happened? So this is what she finds out. When the plane crashed, the plane crashed on the airstrip where it was supposed to land anyway. So Katerina's grandparents were already there to pick up her, their daughter and their granddaughter. And so they pulled her out of the wreckage, told Mr. Riger that she was dead, took her home and told her that both of her parents were dead. So, because they didn't approve of the marriage anyway. So, so they raised her to be the little aristocratic girl that we know in this book. And they were like, oh, you're going to marry our best friend's son so that you can merge our estates because we are also vampire royalty. No, it's fine. If only. Um, and she decided she didn't want to do that. Mrs. What's her face? the 70-year-old the witch, who I love, I mean that in all the positive ways, um, went down there to see them, saw that Katerina was actually still alive, and told her that her father was still alive, and she was like, well, I have to visit him, I have to meet him, it would be, you know, I just can't, so she goes up to see him, and when she arrives, she finds out that he's, of course, like, just gotten remarried, and he has a new son, and she doesn't know exactly the best way to break the news to him, so she just kind of hangs back and pretends she's a housemaid, and it's fine, um, because, like, Angela, Katerina, saw Nancy with Mr. Rigert earlier, and she was like, I've, I've persuaded him to see the doctor, I hope that he gets better, and she's like, you have his best interest at heart, so now she knows that Nancy's somebody to be trusted, so... So that's what happened. She came up here to meet him, and she just hasn't found the nerve to introduce herself to him yet. And you're like, but kidnapping. She doesn't know about that. About the poisoning, the old lady knows about that because she spotted Mark putting some sort of white powder on the the plate that he was eating from the night of the party. So um, she's actually found the vial in Mark's room and brought it of what she saw him leaving on the plate. And so Nancy's like, yes. So she grabs the vial and is like, okay, I'm going to go have this analyzed. It's going to be fantastic. And, and all the, I love it when a plan comes together. And then they hear somebody at the top of the stairs. She's like, who's down there? And Nancy's like, I must hide all the evidence. 
and it ends up being Gene, the foreman, who was like, hey, so have you told her everything yet? Because he knows everything, of course. He knows that who Katarina is, and he's decided that as soon as Mr. Rygert knows, he's going to announce his intentions to marry her, because, of course, he's like, she's a good girl. I love her. Anyway, so Nancy's like, okay, so I know that Mark is trying to poison Mr. Rygert, and also that your father got all this ransom money to get you back, Katerina. And Katerina's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And Nancy tells her about what happened. And she's like, I'm not being my poor father. Like, oh my gosh, no, this is terrible. And Nancy's like, it is terrible. I have a feeling that they probably haven't spent the money yet. So we've still got a chance, but. And she asked Katerina about the, the cloth and the shoe that were some of the ransom notes, and Katarina's like, oh, well, I brought those with me, kind of like as a proof of person, proof of her actual identity, and she put them up in the attic with her mom's things, because that's, that felt like the natural place for her to put them, and so apparently somebody discovered them, and has been using it that way. Nancy, on, when they discovered the robbery, was like, um, so who else knew the combination, and Mr. Eggert's like, well, everybody in the house knew I had a safe in here, and Nancy's like, again, bad, he had written down the combination in the same drawer with the wedding photo. The wedding photo was displayed in the VCR tape of, oh my God, dad, help me, that he received. And Nancy can clearly tell that the girl isn't the same girl from the video. And she asked to see the birthmark. And of course, Katarina has the birthmark. So she's confirmed her identity. I was like, or she found out about it and found a Sharpie, but it's fine. It's fine. We're too close to the end for that to be the plot twist. So uh, Jean's like, oh, BT Dubs, there's somebody outside who says he knows you, and his name is Ned, and Nancy's like, oh my god, so she goes outside and talks to Ned. Um, Ned has discovered that Jonelle and Mark are not even related, so that's fun, um, and also they swindled somebody else in Dallas out of some money before they set their sights on Mr. Rygert, so they're just a con artist duo, and he's just posing as her stepson, or her son, I guess. Anyway, which weird, creepy, incest. It's fine. Anyway, so Nancy's like, okay, I've pretty much got everything figured out. I just have one last thing to check on. So she and Ned ride out to the box canyon in question and they find the weird deer with the huge antlers and they find the kangaroos, of course. And Nancy's like, okay, okay, where did these come from? And it's like Asia. (laughs) Ned is the encyclopedia that you did not know that you needed. He is, he's here for you. He's like, I've seen these zoos before because Ned memorizes shit. Anyway, so Nancy's like, okay, okay, I think I've got everything figured out. So they hatch an elaborate scheme with some role playing because of course they do. Um, So the next day they put their plan into action. They're at breakfast. Ned is staying there. Oh snap. Where did he stay? So many questions. Anyway, um, so Ned's there at breakfast, and he's being introduced as Nancy's friend, and I was like, or fiancé. I mean, why not? Let's just rip that mandate off. It's fine. They're not engaged. It's fine. Um, anyway, so they're all there, and the old lady comes in, and she's like, oh, my God, the housemaid is dead. And everyone's like, what the fuck? So they all run in there, and they see Katerina on the floor in, like, the study or some shit, with the vial of white powder in her hand, as though she's, like, taken it and had died as a result, and Nancy's like, 
this vial of white powder seems significant. And then she's like, and look, a button also seeming significant. I'm sure that the police will be able to dust this for prints and find out who murdered this poor girl. <laughs> and immediately Mark and Jonelle attack each other. So Mark is like, Jonelle's like, I can't believe you would do this, Mark. I can't believe you would try to frame me for this. And Mark's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I did not do this. So this was 100% you. And so he pulls out a gun. Of course he does. So they're going back and forth and it's like, you got greedy and you wanted to smuggle exotic animals. And she, and he's like, what about this ransom money? Because Nancy's like, ah, she's not going to tell you about that ransom money. It just takes a step back because she's here to incite some shit. So they go back and forth at each other. Mr. Rogers seeing all of this because they did not prep him ahead of time. Nancy was afraid that he would just give all the shit away. So he's watching this and eventually Nancy's like, oh, because, um, they're like, we're going to press charges. I can't believe you did this. And, and you stole the ransom money and blah, blah. And she's like, you'll never see your daughter again unless you let us leave and not press charges until after we're gone. And I was like, or never. It's fine. Um, and she's like, yes, my, my friends have her. And, and we will only return her if you let us leave. And Nancy's like, or she's right here. <laughs> and so Angela slash Katarina sits up and is like, hi, dad. And I'm like, Y'all just trying to give this bitch a heart attack. Just, mm, okay. Anyway, so he's like, oh my God, you're my daughter. And she's like, yes, daddy, look at this birthmark. And she shows it off. And he's like, oh my God, it's you. Because of course he's like, I'll do anything to get my daughter back. And she's like, oh my God, yes. So um, then Mark's like, fuck this shit. And like brings his gun up. And Ned just steps over there, disarms him and just tackles him and Janelle to the floor and just stands over them and is like, that's right, bitch. <laughs> I love it. We cannot help but stand. So um, they call in the local sheriff who, again, the main guy has refused to call for this entire fucking book. Um, apparently he's okay if you've already apprehended the suspects. So that's cool. Um, Jean and Katerina are going to get married soon. Mr. Eggert's like, what would you like, you know, for getting me my daughter back because I owe you everything. And Nancy's like, I think I would like a walk in the garden with Ned. And Ned's like, that sounds perfect. And I'm like, again, with the code, guys, we know y'all going to go bang and we're here for it. Just give us another chapter. It's fine. So that's how it ends. Yay! The next book is another book about kidnapping and ransom, which makes me think that when they were going through and approving the ghostwriter, like, planned outlines that they were like, nah, it's fine. <laughs> sure, we can have another ransom right immediately after. So that's what we're going to be tackling next week. So, as always, stay sleuthy, my friends. <laughs>